I'm Julie Hyde, and I believe you can't be a leader of others until you are a leader of self. It all starts with leading you. So if you are ready to be the best leader that you can be, you're in the right place. I'll be chatting to a diverse range of leaders who will spill the beans on their leadership, how they changed the game, insights into their mindset, and how they built the courage and resilience to be a modern leader with impact. Let's get into it. Today, I have Rebecca Christensen with me, and she is the founder and director of Thriving People Consulting, focusing on executive coaching, strategic people and culture management consulting, leadership facilitation, and keynote speaking. And Beck has a background in psychology, and she partners with executive teams to drive cultural change, build leadership capability, and organizational transformation. And one of her superpowers is stretching senior leaders to the edge of their thinking to support mindset shifts in the areas where they are Duck. So welcome back. Thank you, Julie. It's so great to be here today. Thanks for having me. It's so good to have you. Now, today we're going to be chatting about the old chestnut that a lot of people feel, which is that feeling of not being good enough. So I'm really keen to get into this because it's something that a lot of people really do struggle with and keen to get your insights. So, Beck, is this something that's shown up in your life? And could you share a little bit about that with our listeners? Of course. So not feeling good enough has definitely played out in my life, which is probably why I'm so passionate about the topic. So for me, it started quite young when I was little. So my parents got divorced when I was about age five, so which is quite unsettling for kids. And my dad moved into state. And for me, my childhood you know, interpretation of it that I wasn't good enough as a kid, which sounds really sad to hear, but it's really common you know, for kids that are experiencing divorce. And so I kind of carried that not feeling good enough all through school where I was really achievement orientated. So I did lots of things to make me feel good about myself. Like I was really smart at school, so I got great grades and I had lots of friends. But I was definitely then still really focused on external validation to help me um, feel good. And that just threaded through uni and then through the corporate world. So I was one of those high achievers who was very externally driven. So I felt really good about myself when I was delivering and adding value and achieving in the workplace. And I also really sought out the approval of people around me. So particularly at work, you know, I wanted to be I wanted to get really high performance ratings and I always wanted to be the one that went above and beyond. That just carried out through my corporate career. I was headhunted, I was mentored, I was fast-tracked, you know, and I got to an exec role in my 30s, which was a great achievement, but I feel like a lot of that was trying to help me feel better about myself. Yeah, so it's like proving to yourself that you are good enough. And to others. Yeah, and thank you for sharing that. I think a lot of people can resonate with that in terms of doing these strategies from childhood and it becomes a really ingrained habit, doesn't it? Absolutely. It becomes part of you unless you identify how you're thinking and if that's still serving you, then you're just acting on autopilot from often from your childhood. Yeah. So is that something that you identified and decided to change because it wasn't working for you anymore? Or or how did you how did you sort of work out that 
perhaps you wanted to let that go? I think it was something I was working on a lot in my 30s. And then when I got diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 38, you know, that was a bit of a game changing moment for me. And it really forced me to think about how I focus my energy and time and how much stress I create in my life. And I realized that work created quite a lot of stress, even though I loved being at the top in business, it's created a lot of angst for me too. So that kind of set me on a pathway to, to really start looking at, well, how do I have a stronger sense of self and, and think that I'm good? You know, I don't need all these external achievements to make me feel good. So that was the last starting point. That was five years ago. So I've been on a big journey since then. Oh, that's, uh, thank you for sharing that. And I'm sorry you had to go through that journey. Um, you know, going through something similar, but not the same. Often those little situations can be a little gift to force us to look at our life, isn't it? And we step back and take some perspective about what's going on and make the changes we need to. And it's certainly not the click of a finger change that we make because we're doing it so long. So yeah, I totally understand. Yeah, yeah. It can be the best thing that happens to you in the sense that it forces you to face yourself. And that's what me having cancer did. It really forced me to face myself and I thought, I just can't keep on living like this, being so driven and ambitious and pushing my body all the time, you know, and I got really curious about where it came from. Mm. So can you share what is not feeling good enough defined as and how is it different to other terms that are often used by people like, you know, the imposter syndrome or those types of terms that we use frequently? Yeah. So not feeling good enough is generally described as having feelings of inadequacy. So we're feeling, we feel inadequate, we feel less than, and often it's defined as feeling inferior to others. So this generally means we're comparing ourselves to other people rather than having a strong sense of self about why we aren't good enough. And these feelings often have nothing to do with our actual performance or our abilities. They tend to be an emotional, yeah, an emotional reaction and they're usually due to having what we call low self-efficacy, and I'll talk about that a bit in a, in a minute. And so they're not always, you know, these feelings, just because we feel something doesn't mean we actually are our feelings, but it's really easy to feel like our feelings are reality, right? And that's really common for people. And the way it plays out, though, in the workplace is often people can push themselves. So if they don't feel good enough or if they feel inadequate, they push themselves. So they perform at really high level and they'll often surpass people's expectations. And I did a lot of that. And I got rewarded in the corporate world for that. You know, every time I pushed myself and did more, I got promoted and or headhunted. And, and so it can actually be, you know, it can reinforce these unhelpful patterns in your yourself. And the other way people can show up, the not feeling good enough can show up is they withdraw. So, you know, they might self-censor or they play small because they're afraid of what other people might think of them. But essentially not feeling good enough and the fear of not being good enough are essentially emotions and, and we they don't represent our abilities, but we struggle to see that logically. Yeah, okay. So this is essentially how we feel when we compare ourselves to others. And like you said, we could go one of two ways. So you went the way that really feeds into that corporate beast um, in terms of what's 
often expected and absolutely adored. Um, so that can create a really, really vicious cycle. Then, of course, as you mentioned, that like people can retreat and play small and stay within their comfort zone because they don't feel like they're good enough to do otherwise. Yeah. And I said, it's often based because we don't have a strong sense of self. So we don't feel good about ourselves. And so we go looking for external validation from others. And we often yeah, compare ourselves a lot to other people and we go seeking. So we go seeking approval, which can lead to people pleasing and, you know, having a lack of boundaries. So like there's kind of a cascade of, you know, the way it can go. Yeah, absolutely. Now you mentioned before that it played out in the workplace for you, but what can be the impact of a leader's effectiveness and well-being if you're feeling that way? You mentioned like the stress that you put on yourself, you know, probably really unrealistic expectations that you put on your own shoulders, which can weigh incredibly heavily. And then I believe that we're all a leader regardless of title. But, you know, as you climb the corporate ladder and you're juggling multiple multiple demands and then you've got these unrealistic expectations on your shoulder, I expect, you know, that certainly is not supporting your well-being and something that ideally if you are in a leadership position, you want to be role modelling for your team. Definitely. Yeah, it can play it in a few different ways. I guess one part of the way it plays out is externally, as you were saying. So, you know, these people, you know, we end up being really driven and we deliver a lot. And so then our people might look at us and think, oh, that's what we need to be, you know, in this workplace to be successful. So it can drive some really unhelpful boundaries or lack of boundaries and behaviours and it can impact people's well-being. It definitely impacted my well-being. But it can also play out, you know, internally where we get stuck in rumination. So that is negative cyclical patterns. So we end up having these negative thoughts about ourselves. We might be really self-critical and we might get locked into some unhelpful cognitive thinking patterns like we might be jumping to conclusions by guessing what other people are thinking because we're quite concerned about other people thinking that we're not good enough. So we spend a lot of time ruminating and worrying about that. We also might get stuck in what we call should statements. That's a type of thinking pattern where we're very self-critical and we end up um, telling ourselves, you know, we focus on the negative, what we should have done. We don't ever focus on what we what we did do. So we often are fearing not performing, particularly in the workplace and people not approving of us. And that means that we end up going into people pleasing or perfectionistic behaviours, or we become a chameleon. I was an expert chameleon. I could just fit in wherever I went at work, which was a bit of a superpower, but also my Achilles heel because I didn't have a strong sense of self. So I wasn't always feeling good about who I was so I would kind of mimic the environment that I was in which would be confusing for people because I would have shown up in different ways and a lot of my coaching clients are the same you know they they kind of mold themselves to what other people expect and then they start thinking well who am I really you know who do I want to be yep I totally resonate with that because I I certainly did that as well. Like, you know, if you got all the people that I knew in the one room, then they'd be going, who is this person? I'm used to Julie being this way or I'm used to her being that way or like, who is this woman? So, yeah, that's something that's really, really common. 
Yeah, yeah, it really is. And so people's experience of us can be mixed and therefore the feedback we get can be really confusing to make sense of. And because we're very externally focused, so we're looking at other people for feedback and approval, it can be really confusing to make sense of all the feedback because actually we're not being consistent at times in in how we show up. Robert Keegan, who's an amazing researcher, he talks about being other authored versus being self-authored. And so he wrote some great piece of research about, it's called constructive development theory, and he talks about adult development. And he says a lot of leaders and people get stuck in stage three where we're other authored, where we don't have a strong sense of self and where other people's views become our own views of ourselves. We're not able to look at other people's views of us objectively. So we take everything to heart about what other people say about us and you know, we want to please them and get approval. And so our sense of self comes from others, which is why he says it's other authored. And he talks about developmental coaching moving from stage three to stage four. So stage three is other authored and stage four is being self-authored. And that is where we're able to hold other people's views of us objectively. So we can separate, this is what someone else thinks of me. This is what I think of me. And we can make sense of other people's standards and evaluations based on our own views of ourselves rather than getting all entangled in how other people see us. And and I think, you know, that's a, a real challenge for people who don't feel good enough. And a lot of the senior people I coach, I'm helping them move to be self-authored where, you know, they feel really good about themselves and they're able to see their own worth regardless of what other people think. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And also anchoring themselves to who they are and what they stand for, which I think is really important as a leader. So in listening to what you're saying, I've got leaders of people in mind and I'm thinking, okay, so this is going to impact their decisiveness or their willingness to have a hard decision, their willingness to confront conflict if necessary or poor performance and that chameleon type behavior as a leader which can be very very confusing for people if a leader is not consistent if they're not showing up consistently it can erode trust because there's no congruence between words and actions so people can get really confused about who is this person who's supposed to be leading us forward would you would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. You've lo- you listed off like a lot of the, I guess, some of the negative implications for for being like that in the workplace. It can really affect how other people see you and how effective you are. But also, I said you can get can get celebrated. So if you're not able to ha- you know stand up to your boss or to challenge thinking, you know, at the board level or at a CE, then you're also kind of rewarded for you. You know, you're almost going into that group think phase where you're not promoting diversity of thought because you're concerned that other people will think you're not good enough or you'll ask a silly question. So you don't lean into those types of discussions. And as an individual, you might be rewarded in the short term, but in the long term, it doesn't help you because you are not really owning, you know, the value that you bring. Yeah, that's right. It's an unresourceful strategy long term. Like you said, you know, often the corporate hierarchy will reward, yes, behavior. So much less trouble. (laughs) So what can people do to reduce the impact of not feeling good enough? So do you have some tips that you can share with our listeners today? 
I do, yes. Yeah, I think there are four main activities that can be really helpful, four practices that I get a lot of my coaches to do. So the first one is implementing a daily mindfulness or a meditation practice. And, you know, we hear this a lot and you know, the research tells us why, because it helps us calm us down. It helps activate our parasympathetic nervous system, you know, which activates rest and relaxation, etc. So we know why mindfulness is helpful from that regard. But also the more present we are, the more we can identify our ruminating thoughts or our unhelpful thinking patterns. And if we're more present, and definitely meditation helps us be more present, then we can notice some of our unhelpful thinking patterns, we can, you know, observe them, be compassionate, but also reframe and work on changing them. And um, unless we do that, then we just get stuck in a, you know, on autopilot in a pattern. So that's one tip. And my biggest tip to doing that, a lot of senior people say, I don't have time, you know, don't have time to meditate. <laughs> I'm sure you hear that a lot too. <laughs> yeah, totally. I used to say that too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, start with two minutes a day at the same time every day bolt the new habit onto an existing habit. I've got clients that sit in the car when they arrive in the car park to meditate or do it when they go to get a coffee, you know, just tag it on into something that you're already doing and then increase to build up to 10 minutes a day. I think that's really helpful. So that's kind of the first tip that I can't underestimate the impact, (laughs) the positive impacts it can have. The second one is understanding what specific behaviours of others or situations that trigger us to not feel good enough. Often we get caught into reacting and to other people's unhelpful or just their behaviour and we don't really notice what's going on for us. So I encourage people to get out a, sh- a big you know, sheet of paper and you can map out what sort of trigger events get me feeling angry or stressed or emotional you know, at work. What does someone say? What is the situation? What am I thinking? We call them automatic negative thoughts. So what are my ants? You know, what am I thinking in my head? What's my behaviour? How do I feel? And then what do, what do I feel in my body? So you kind of map that out and then you think, okay, what's the impact of all of that? You know, how am I showing up to others? And what might reinforce that pattern, that unhelpful pattern? Maybe it's another person's behaviour or, or something else. So I think mapping out that and then working out where can I insert something different? Can I think something differently or do I take a different action? I think getting those situations out of our head that trigger us to not feel good enough is really, really important. Yeah, I love that. And writing it down, it's really powerful. And then the third one is also just doing some free-form journaling as well. So I think just being able to write out how you're feeling, you know, without any barriers around that, you know, why do you feel you're not good enough? And just to journal and get that out of your head. And then when you kind of look at that, you think, well, what's the evidence that supports how I'm feeling? You know, and so often people that don't feel good enough, there's a lot of contradictory evidence that says actually, you know, I am good enough because there are some great things that I've done. But trying to work out what you can control is, I think, really important. And how do you start focusing on what you are doing right? And that kind of leads into the fourth point, which is being able to build a stronger sense of self that is detached from other people's views of us. And so to do that, we need to implement a daily reflective practice where, again, we're focusing on the things we do well every day because most people who don't feel good enough have an extremely high negative bias where they're always focusing on the things that are not working, that they're not doing or what they're worried about happening. They're not always focusing on what they're doing right. 
And I think when you do that over time, I've seen a lot of leaders that I've coached who've been so governed by other people's views of them and, and really don't feel good enough. Over time, when they're continually every day focusing on what they're doing well, they're starting to build that strong sense of self, which is, again, detached from other people's views. And that means less people-pleasing. You know, they start setting boundaries because they just feel really good about themselves. It can be really, really powerful. So it's like building your armour. <laughs> So the mindfulness, um, understanding what triggers you, the journaling and building a stronger sense of self by really understanding like what you're doing really, really well, like what you're great at. All of that can definitely sort of work towards building your confidence, which is ultimately your self-confidence, which is ultimately what all of this, you know, leads to, which is fantastic. So they're awesome tips. Beck, thank you for sharing those. And is there a final message that you would like to leave with our listeners today? I think the final message from me is to say that most of the senior people I work with, you know, don't feel good enough at times. So it's a really normal feeling. So a lot of people think they're the only one. And because there's not much vulnerability at the top, because there's a lot of pretending, there's a lot of corporate, you know, corporate facade where everyone acts like they're really, you know, they think they're great and they're nailing their role. You know, that's just, it's just all a facade. And I think my message is that everyone has times where they don't feel good enough. And so it's normal, but there are things you can do to help yourself um, feel better and a lot of it's an inside job, which we know about, right? You know, we can do lots of things. We can achieve so many different wonderful things in our corporate career. But if we don't feel good about ourselves, then we're still left with that sense of yearning, aren't we, of just things not quite being right. So doing the inner work, I think, is really important. And, and coaching, as you know, can really help. Yes, yeah, definitely. Beck, thank you so much for being part of the conversation today and for really leading these types of conversations which aren't spoken about enough. And I think a lot of people will be tuning into this and feel quite validated that they're not alone in feeling this way and there are strategies for them to turn it around. So some of the tips that you've shared is really, really helpful. So thank you for being part of Leading You Back. You're welcome. No, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. 